Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramus, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. In this series, we are discussing Dutch Sheet's book, Intercessory Prayer. And last week, we left off discussing his allegorical use of Joshua and the narrative of the Gibeonites and the five kings that came up against them. We're going to continue that discussion today with the end of that narrative and also just reviewing the key idea in this passage that Dutch Sheets is trying to make, at least, is that we administer the new covenant. Our claim is that Christ administers his covenant. Where we've left off was the Lord sovereignly delivered the Gibeonites and the Israelites from these five kings that came against them. The kings go off and hide in a cave where they're found. And here's what Dutch Sheet says. Joshua, however, is about to do something very different and very prophetic. Rather than place his foot on the necks of these kings, as was the typical custom, Joshua summoned some of his soldiers and had them do it. No more literal picture of Christ and the church, his army, could have been given to us. In fulfillment of this prophetic picture, when Jesus defeated Satan and his principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, he too called his army to him and said, you put your feet on the necks of these enemies. Okay, how would you respond to that? That's the allegorical interpretation of Scripture I mentioned last week. Yes. This is common in the spiritual warfare, the warfare worldview. Okay. Wilderness wanderings and the, uh, taking the land is allegorized to talk about uh, dealing with demons and various enemies, whether they be spiritual entities or geopolitical territories that they think the, somehow we should take for God. However it's done, it's allegorizing the Bible. What do I mean by that? Well, the allegorical method is not really a method of interpretation. It's a method of using the Bible to make spiritual points that the author of the Bible, the spirit-inspired author of the Bible, never intended to make. Right. And we see that so much. And even unintentionally, I think, I hope, uh, otherwise well-meaning evangelicals tend to do that too. There's, You will hear a lot of, you know, what does this mean to you? Or this is a picture of this, when in fact the Bible doesn't say that. Well, absolutely. And the one thing that I've said for decades to pastors, when we had a pastor's meeting 30-some years ago, and all along is it's not right. You can't take the scripture and turn it into an allegory and make it mean what you want it to mean. The meaning is determined by the Holy Spirit inspired author. And if we make an application, it has to be logically derived from the meaning. Yes. Although it can't be controlled only by my imagination. Right. And often the case is that they cherry pick a little part of a story to make their allegory. And if we actually read on in Joshua 10 here, 
So the kings have been brought out to Joshua in verse 24, and they put the feet on the necks. Well, it doesn't end there, as Dutch sheets would have us believe. The next two verses, Joshua then said to them, Do not fear or be dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies with whom you fight. Yes. So who does this? The Lord. And then the very next verse So afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death, and he hanged them on five trees, and they hung on the trees until evening. So even his allegory doesn't hold up because in the end, Joshua was the one who kills the kings. Right. And that was real human beings they were battling, not unseen demons. Right. And Israel was God's covenant people. And God promised that land to their ancestors going back to Abram. Yes. And for those who maybe didn't hear last week's episode, we walked through this whole narrative. And from the very beginning, Israel was the one that was deceived. Israel disobeyed God and made a covenant with a pagan nation. And yet God delivered them. God was the one who defeated the five kings that came up against the Gibeonites and the Israelites. God rained hailstones down on them. The the whole battle from beginning to end was all a doing of the Lord, not of Israel. Yeah, so what they they obeyed God. They listened to to the word of the Lord that had been given through Moses and then they had prophets. Okay. But they were dealing with things that they were cut out to deal with, which is the realm of human beings. Yes. Objective reality. The problem is this idea that you can allegorize this and therefore apply it to our ability, or I would say inability to see what's going on in the realm of the spirits down to various details and then deal with that and take land. Right. That's not what spiritual warfare is about. Okay. Because he says here, he too called his army to him and said, you put your feet on the necks of these enemies. That's his allegorization. Right. So then where would we even see that idea in the New Testament? Well, it, it comes from a misinterpretation of the book of Ephesians. Okay. And other passages. Well, now, and you've recently preached all the way through Ephesians. Yes, I recently preached over several years, verse by verse, through Ephesians and dealt with the passage in context using the tools we have and putting people can go and look at that and see if I misinterpreted it. I'm willing to learn. But none of the passages about the armor of God or the battle imply that we are gradually taking territory or gaining a way to defeat a certain spirit or a certain spirit entity because we don't know exactly what they are. We know they're real. Yes. But if you look at Ephesians, chapter one starts out with what's called a barakah in Old Testament, but eulogetos in the new, where we get our word eulogy, is blessing God for what he's already done. All right. So it doesn't require us to know details about the world of the spirits, which we don't know. It requires that we believe the gospel. Yes. 
We did a whole series about the gospel as the true armor of God that listeners can go back and, and find if they want. But let's look at how he uses some of these passages. So in his book, he says, when Ephesians 2, 6 says that he raised us up with him, Christ is saying, it's not only my victory, but it's yours also. Is that is that what that verse means? Well, not the way he, what he implies by that. Yes, okay. our victory is in Christ because we are raised up with him, but that's relational it's not technological. All right. Let's define that a little bit. How are you defining technological? Oh, okay. Well, those who are in the warfare worldview, including the New Apostolic Reformation and others, have what I call spiritual technology. Okay. The way technology works is you have principles, processes, uh, input, output, and you can predict the output and the conclusion based on controlling the process. And to do that, you need data. You need to know things. The names of the spirits. The, as in the warfare, the gatekeeper spirit. Which one is that? What territory is what demon over? Spiritual mapping. We're going to use technology to control the world of the spirits and how it influences things on earth. That is a pagan worldview. Okay. So when I taught verse by verse through Colossians, I also explained that. And I did also going through Ephesians. That's paganism. Okay. So technologically, we can function with general revelation. Yes. We can heat our house, build abodes, grow food, pull out weeds, deal with the fact that we live in a fallen world and we can predict outcome technologically with physics and math and so on. But we can't use that in the spirit world because we're not equipped for it. Right. Okay. So what is known about the spirit world is that Satan is a deceiver. The fall is real. Everyone is born into this world in Adam, dead in sin. And that, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and that he accuses us before God. Okay. That the only way out of the dominion of darkness is through belief in Christ through the gospel. Right. God, the Son, the Creator, came into our world and lived a sinless life. The point of the incarnation, the resurrection of Christ, the blood atonement, the ascension, the session, the right hand, the majesty on high, interceding for us as our high priest, is that he's done what we couldn't do. Exactly. And that in him, we are saved. Okay. Most profound thing, and I'm going to tell you why it's not technology, it's relational. All right. Most profound thing is forgiveness of sins. Yes. Let's talk about that. No, I have not seen that anywhere in this book, and I've, I'm on my third time through it now. It's not even on their radar. Right. And I've interviewed people who have come out of the New Apostolic Reformation, different versions of it, including IHOP and so on. And if you ask about that, they say they don't, they don't talk about that. Okay. For one, I don't, there may be different reasons. I think they're, 
One reason why they don't talk about forgiveness of sins is they're trying to be positive and see there's problems. It must be because of Satan. We've got to figure out how to fix it. Yes. And they also have no um, emphasis on eternal life. Right. Okay. Because in their theology, it has to happen now. Okay. And Christ can't come back because we're defeated in that, in that bigger scheme of this theology. So we're actually going to see that in uh, later on in this same chapter. That's a constant theme. I wrote about that in CIC issue 103. Okay. Roots and fruits of the new apostolic reformation. Now, the facts of the gospel are so much simpler than all of this confusion. Yes. Okay. The facts of the gospel are based on who Christ is, what he did, why we need him, and that he transfers us out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what okay. God Right. Now, relational means even if a lot of bad things happen, he still loves us. He's still our heavenly father. He's still our savior. We still have each other. And we still have assurance of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Right. We have his word to comfort us and to give us teaching and guidance and means of grace. Okay. In our world, it's all technological based on knowledge, power, and application of the knowledge to make things happen, to get the outcome we're looking for. That's why I call it technological. Okay. So now there's a good example of this just coming right up here further down the page. So he's re still referring to Ephesians 2, 6. He raised us up with him. Dutch Sheets now says, he is also saying, what I have done, you must enforce. I have put them under my feet legally, under my authority, but you must exercise that authority in individual situations, causing the literal fulfillment of it. So now so, how would you respond to that? They're claiming that's what Christ is saying. Yes. Therefore, I judge that prophecy to be false. All that right. False prophecy. Yep. Now, according to um, 1 Corinthians 14, and I believe prophecy is bringing out implications and applications of Scripture. Okay. He's sort of doing that by allegorizing Joshua. Right. But that is not what God is saying. It's not what he has said. Okay. That is a false prophecy. Yes. Dutch sheets, you need to repent. That's a false prophecy. Repent and tell people that to be in Christ is to repent, turn to Christ, trust him. He washes away our sins. He intercedes for us. He keeps us. We're his sheep. He'll take care of us. And we are safe in him. Amen. Force things. We preach the gospel so that the kingdom of Satan is plundered as people repent and come to Christ. Yes. So we're not manipulating. We're not told to manipulate the world of the spirits whether it's territorial or it's making decrees. God's the only one in the Bible 
who make decrees that are binding on men. Right. We discussed that a, a few episodes ago, but so, we we don't make decrees. God does. What harms? I, I don't know anybody's motives. Okay. And I would have to assume that the other sheets and others in the New Apostolic Reformation believe what they're doing is right. Okay. But I don't know. I God knows the heart. But this will never be a benefit to the body of Christ. Right. One who was under that same delusion at one point. And I was in a group that practiced these sort of things in a Christian commune. We call it a community, which it was. A lot of really quality people, honestly. Okay. 24-7. We had a required day of fasting every week. Wow. And okay. The... Um, but when these kind of decrees or these prophecies are made, and then you see the manifestations, the thing that keeps it going are the experiences and the manifestations. Right. It's all driven by these stories, and not saw, by scripture. I saw those too. Yeah. yeah. I and told stories about some remarkable manifestations that happened through things I was doing then. And the bottom line of it was inflating me with pride that would be a, that was really bad. Yes. Somebody who had just gotten this manifestation told me, Satan's afraid of you. Okay. Well, boy, that makes you feel good. Well, it, it, it's a, that's like in Luke said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. So Jesus emphasized forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God is eternal. The spiritual technology based on allegorized scripture emphasizes we have to do it. Right. Humans are going to give a fever to a, a kid or make a city go into a bad state, which is certainly the case as we look around right now. Mm -hmm. And so who ends up with the guilt in that scheme of things. The Christian. The Christians. Yeah. Everything is bad because you failed. You didn't pray about it. Find out what spirit is over the city causing all this. Right. Which, if you listen to last week's episode, that's what Dutch Sheets starts out with, with is, uh, Joshua and Israel not praying about the Gibeonites. Yes. And so um, the allegorical method of Bible interpretation sounds when you make these claims it sounds intriguing to people but it's a, a thinly veiled version of liberalism okay the last thing these people would want to be known as is liberal but that's what this is yes there's various versions of liberalism liberalism believes the reader determines the meaning of the scripture not the author yeah which is really exactly what they're doing. Right. So conservative. So the one version of a liberalism, we talked about this emergent sees everything's evolving into paradise. And the sinners are the people who are trashing the planet by driving their car to work. Right. Or not getting with their uh, social gospel. Okay. Version says the problems are because people 
are not taking authority over the heavenlies and casting down the spirits or making binding decrees and casting out the demons or whatever. Okay. Both versions allegorize the Bible. Yes. And that, that goes all the way back to early days of deceived people in, of the church fathers and early days of Roman Catholicism that continues on to this day. And even in Rome, they have allegorized scripture that undergirds their idea of social gospel, or they have allegorized version that undergirds the idea of a conservative version. We're going to take control. Okay. Now, just a few minutes ago, you mentioned Luke uh, 10, 20, rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So that's very providential because Dutch Sheets mentions in this very part of the book, Luke 10, 19. And he says this, Luke 10, 19 tells us, behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall injure you. And his parenthetical statement is emphasis added. This is what happened when we helped Mike. This is the father in the story of the sick child and enforcing and a treading. What he leaves off is Luke 10, 20. Oh, my. So how we, we don't, we have about 10 minutes, a little bit less, but can we just talk for a few minutes about what Jesus says here. I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. How are we to interpret this passage? Well, it was given in the context to the disciples. Okay. That's where a lot of the misunderstanding of the purposes of the mighty deeds of God revealed in Christ and then through the work of his apostles. Okay. The point is, they didn't even know there was truly a way out. Yes. And Messiah came, and Luke-Acts is one of the more glorious pieces of biblical material. I, I just love Luke-Acts, the way it's laid out in two-volume work. It's announced ahead of time what God's doing. Okay. And God is going to bring people from darkness to light. Yes. And so let me turn there to Luke uh, 10, 20. I've been looking at this a lot lately. He also mentioned in Dutch did Romans 16, God will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Okay. And so then he goes back to this whole story of knowing that the son had a spirit of infirmity that wouldn't go away. But they don't know. They cannot know that. Right. That's a presupposition. I think it's not, there's no way to know that. Okay. Okay. Verse 20 says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Okay. Rejoice that he hid these things from wise and prudent, reveal it to babes. All right. What is would indicate that our names are recorded in heaven? That we've been born again. Yeah. We're born of God. Our sins are forgiven. Okay. Okay. And when the Holy Spirit's poured out on the day of Pentecost, what did Peter preach? This is that which was prophesied 
by the prophet Joel. Then he cited Joel 2.28. And then he preached verse after verse about Jesus and the prophecies that were fulfilled in his life. And he didn't allegorize them. He took them literally. Exactly. Okay. So the Bible is about forgiveness of sins. One more illustration of that to put this all in context. Okay. Earlier, when they'd been uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, three of them, and then up there, when the father announced this is my son, listen to him, there's Moses and Elijah. Right. That's Moses, the, the mediator of the old covenant. Elijah, I believe, standing for the prophets. They disappear and there's Christ only. Yes. My son listened to him. When they come down, there was this problem about a demon not being able to go out. And so it went on. And at the end of it, they're arguing who's the greatest. Okay. Read Luke 9. Read Luke 10. They go out. This casting out of demons is evidence that Jesus is the promised one who will truly defeat enemies. And the last enemy is death. Yes. According to 1 Corinthians 15. So the point is your names are in the book. And even the grandest miracle doesn't solve the problem that people die. Right. Now, there are some versions of the, the prophetic movement that claim they're going to find immortality even before um, the future resurrection. Oh, wow. Manifested sons of God so far. I'm not accusing Dutch sheets of teaching that because I haven't seen that here. Okay. But why would the intention of God to bring forgiveness of sins and release from our sin debt to God be put aside for the claim that we have to enforce victory over demons? Right. You get rid of a demon and you're still in your mortal body. Okay. Still aging. Yeah. And there are many people in the deliverance movement that don't even believe in forgiveness of sins. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's all just a big distraction from the gospel. Most of them just assume that it's true, but some, the occult people have the same thing. We see that in Acts. Yes. I've had people contact me who didn't read my whole article about why I left that, wanting me to break curses and do deliverance. Okay. Well, you need a relationship with Christ. I already accepted Christ, but I want this demon gone. Okay. I can't debate everybody who thinks they know that, or I can't see the soul or the heart to know they really do know Jesus. Right. But Paul had a messenger from Satan that was buffeting him, and he appealed to God. Yes. When he saw a grand vision, he said it's not, I, what he saw was not lawful for men to utter. Right. So all of this, these allegories, these claims that they knew this was a spirit of infirmity. This is what we have to do. What disappears is the relationship that we have with God through Christ by faith, forgiveness of sins, lovingly caring for one another, gathering together, humbling ourselves, trusting God's promises, And what takes the place is spiritual technology 
and the idea that we shouldn't have these temporal problems. We have to stomp on, on Satan and get this to go away. All right. Now we've kind of introduced a, a bigger theological concept here than we've really had time to discuss. But if you want to hear more about this technology versus relationship, there is a CIC article titled Why Technology Cannot Save Us. And you can find that at the website. It'll give you some more information and things to think about. Uh, we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years' worth of articles, at the website CICMinistry.org. While you're there, click on Contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. I'm Bob Huey. We'll see you next week. 